0: for the gift of your I invite you now to open your Bibles to Matthew 21 verses 12 through 17 Matthew 21 12 through 17 and my bookmark was still in John where I preached a long time ago and so I'll have to turn there too this morning Matthew 21 starting at verse 12 now, just as I, before I read, I want to preface why I've selected this text and and what maybe we should be looking for as I read it this morning. Um, it may, might not surprise you to know that I've been doing a lot of thinking over the last three months. And some of you might hear that and think, oh no, what's, what's going to happen, you know, as I return to ministry here at Ammon Valley? But I want to set your minds at ease that i have doing a lot of thinking about uh, what's happening in my own heart, what's happening in my own spiritual life. Sometimes with the busyness of ministry, it can be tempting even for a, a pastor to get so busy and wrapped up in all the tasks of the day and the week that that it could be difficult just to stop and think for a while and rest in God's presence and ask him to show me what's happening in my life, the the sin that I'm committing, but also the good that God is accomplishing in my own life. And so I had an opportunity to do that also, had an opportunity to ask and wonder a lot about this question of, of what people are hoping will happen when they come to church. I had that experience week after week during my sabbatical. That was really good for me to be um, in, in your position now of just arriving at church. And, and I was thinking each week, what do I hope happens when I go? What do I hope to receive when I go to the house of God? What do you need when you come to church? What are you looking for? That's a question that I really, I wouldn't so much say wrestled with, but thought a lot about during my sabbatical. Because I was in that position myself. I attended 16 different churches in the last 11 Sundays. And so really enjoyed time in England, going to church almost every day that I was on my bike pilgrimage there. Grand cathedrals in northern England, places like Newcastle and Durham and Ripon, England and York. And uh, other churches around Ripon, Christian Reformed churches, and, and, and uh, even on our travels to visit with family, uh, going to their churches as well. And I found myself asking each week, what do I hope happens when I walk through the doors? Whether it's one of the largest cathedrals in the whole world in York, England, or whether it's a tiny, tiny chapel in northern British Columbia with 12 seats. <laughs> what do I hope happens? And instead of just answering that question with a poll or answering that question by just talking to various people, I want to answer that question with Scripture. What should we hope happens when we go to church on Sunday? And not just go to church on Sunday, but what do we hope happens when we open our Bibles? What do we hope happens when we pray? Or when we have time as a family in devotions? Or when you listen to a sermon on your way to work? What do you hope happens when you open yourself up to an encounter with God and, um, and you seek him? So we need to conform our desires to what God says we should desire. And throughout the Bible, there are many different approaches to worship. There are times where God says he rejects the worship of his people Israel because They don't really believe in him or they're superstitious in their worship or they're worshiping him in a way that that he actually hates. There are other many times in Scripture where the Lord applauds worship. In fact, this is one of the first stories in the whole Bible where you have Cain and Abel, Cain offering up worship to God that is not pleasing to him and Abel offering up worship to God that, that he loves. And so we should ask, how might we get this right? How might we be a church that worships God in a way that he loves and that is also a blessing to you? And I asked this a lot during my sabbatical. And as I was asking, I remembered often this passage that we're going to read this morning of Matthew 21, where Jesus gets angry about what people find when they go to worship, when they go to the temple in Jerusalem. That is our passage this morning. And as I'm reading, take note of what makes Jesus angry, And that gets a lot of attention as this passage is preached. But also make note of what should be happening, what Jesus wants to be happening. There's the negative force of what shouldn't be happening. We'll focus on that for a little while. But then there's also the positive force of what does Jesus want worship in the temple to be. We need to ask that question too. And so pay attention to it as I read Matthew 21 starting at verse 12. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies you have ordained praise? And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This morning, we need to consider this passage from the perspective of an ancient worshiper. Consider what it would have been like or felt like to be perhaps a pilgrim who would travel to the temple in Jerusalem, or even somebody who lived in the nearby area who was going to the temple to seek God. It shouldn't really be that difficult to put yourself in that scenario because that's essentially what you're doing right now as well by coming to church or by viewing a live stream. Put yourself in the setting of this story as, as somebody who is going to seek God. You arrive at the temple, and before Jesus arrives, the temple is full of commotion, busyness, and distractions. You arrive at the temple and realize it's difficult To worship here, it's difficult to hear the voice of God in this place. It's difficult because, in this first century context, these people wouldn't have been led in prayer. These people were not being encouraged to sing, and they they would enter the temple and, and not hear singing but would hear the commotion of business interactions. It would be difficult to, to hear the word of God in a place like that because there's so much focus on other things, on things that, that are not spiritual. In the first century, it was common for people to walk a long way to get to that temple. Very common for people to make a pilgrimage, which um, certainly I've thought a lot about during the past 11 weeks. To make a pilgrimage to get to that temple so that that you might... Just stop and worship and pray and sing and read the word of God. Very similar to how people would have been approaching the temple in Jesus' day. And imagine their disappointment when learning that the house of God that they had traveled so far to get to had been transformed into a place of business. Despite all our cultural and technological differences between life in the 21st century and life in this first century that we just read about, people in the first century would have been seeking essentially the same things by going to the temple that we seek when we come to church. Those people in the first century, temple um, pilgrims who would have gone to the temple or worshipers who would have attended the temple, those people would have been seeking peace. And isn't that what you want when you come to to church to find peace. And peace not just in the sense that it's an absence of, of conflict, but, but real peace, peace with God through Christ. People would have been seeking guidance for important decisions that were they were making or for things that were happening in their lives that had great impact on the future trajectory of their lives. People would have been wondering about that in the first century, and I know that many of you would come to church seeking guidance as well. Oh, Lord, speak to me and give me direction in this important thing that's happening in my life right now. People would have come seeking fellowship with God. Often that's because... I would hope that you have found times in your life when you have experienced rich fellowship with God and you would come to church hoping that you could, could find more of it. Just to sit in, in the pew, uh, to participate in the sacrament, to sing a song that, that lifts your soul up so that you know you're in the presence of God. People come to church seeking grace, forgiveness for their sins. Seeking Christ just to behold the cross. The cross and to participate in the sacrament of communion is to be once again awestruck by the work of Christ that is applied to your soul for the forgiveness of your sins. People would have come to seek an opportunity to praise God for the blessings that he's given. That's the way it was in the first century. That's certainly the way that it is today as well. These are things that every person needs. These are are things that your soul is, is hopefully longing for as the Spirit works in your soul. But instead of experiencing the presence of God, these worshipers would have been coming to the temple and instead of being led in prayer or singing a song or hearing the Word of God, they would enter through those temple gates and and essentially, a scammer comes to to shove a dove in their face and talk about how good of a deal it is, and and you better buy now before the price goes up, before the place gets a little bit busier. So just imagine the the shock that would have been happening for a worshiper who would come in to the house of God, just just seeking God, and and instead would would be sold something. When we put ourselves in the place of that spiritually hungry worshiper, we can easily understand why Jesus got so angry that day. When we put ourselves in, in the place of that person who it just wants to to know God, just, just tell me the word of God. I just want to come and pray for a little while. Maybe going through a difficult time or on a mountaintop experience, just going to the temple to be with God. Uh, and having that great desire in your heart, we can understand why Jesus got so angry because those people who are seeking God had obstacles built up in the temple itself that were preventing them from being able to hear the voice of God. So we'll get to the positive side of what worship should be in a moment, but now let's dwell for a little bit on the negative of what it shouldn't be, what might be getting in the way of our enjoyment of the presence of God. We find in Matthew 21, 12 through 13, just rereading what we already read. Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. Note that, all who sold and bought in the temple. So it wasn't just the, the scammers, it was also the consumers. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. So not only are these money changers and dove sellers exploiting people, but but even worse, they're robbing God of his glory in the temple. So this is often interpreted in a very narrow way. I know in the Christian Reformed Church, this passage will occasionally come up when somebody wants to sell something on a Sunday in church as a part of some ministry thing. And uh, this verse is, is usually one of those first verses that, that comes up. And, and I do think that it's wise for us uh, not to have you know, booths of selling things in our, in our church, uh, partly because of just the plain teaching of this text. But I would say that's a pretty narrow interpretation of this passage. It has a much fuller interpretation that we should think about for a little while this morning when people just focus on buying and selling things at church or in the temple, um, sometimes we can uh, miss the broader, and I would say more uh, uh, pointed application for our lives, but also the more helpful application for our lives. The broader principle is that the priests were allowing activity in the church or in the temple to interfere with worship. So there was some kind of activity, in this case it was buying and selling, it can be other kinds of activity as well, that is getting in the way of people seeking God and being in his presence. That's the broader principle that offends Jesus so much, that angers him. So instead of guiding people toward God, the priests are allowing people into the temple who are obstacles between people and God. So notice that Jesus drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. He wasn't just against the people who were selling, but he drove out people who came to the temple for the wrong reason, just to make a purchase, to uh, sort of assuage their guilty conscience that maybe if I go to the temple and buy something there, that will sort of atone for my sin in some superstitious kind of way. So there were people who went to the temple only to sell things and get rich, Jesus drove them out. There were other people who went to the temple just to buy things so that they would set their their consciences at ease. And Jesus drove them out. And we could wonder, how did it get this way? How could this happen? How could it happen in the temple in Jerusalem? How does it happen today in church as well? Well, it happens because consumerism is a cheap substitute for seeking the Lord genuinely. Superstition is a cheap substitute for really seeking God's face. Con- by consumerism, I, I mean this-, this perception that God is someone who we can come to and we'll just give him this thing so that he gives us the thing that we want back from him. That's the relationship that you have with your grocery store or, or some other store that you like to go to, but that's not the relationship that you ought to have with the church. As if it's a consumer relationship where I pay a little bit and I get something back. Consumerism is a cheap substitute for really seeking the Lord. So what are the modern-day doves that the church tries to sell people and that people love to buy instead of really humbling yourself before the Lord? What are the modern-day examples of this happening? Um, Perhaps that we would be tempted toward as a church, certainly that the church throughout the world is tempted towards. Two that come to my mind that are popular in the American church are entertainment and politics. That instead of humbling ourselves in the presence of God, people would come into worship with the hope that they will be entertained. That they would be given exactly the kind of thing that they want. And that this isn't just with the big churches with the light shows. This happens In regular, everyday congregations as well. I hope we sing the songs that I like. That's almost a a form of entertainment, actually, at a certain point. Certainly, it wouldn't be bad to sing the songs that you like, but if, if all of the focus is being moved in that direction, you have a consumeristic attitude towards going to church. So, I'll give you an example of what this might look like. I read a review of a church on Google. Uh, It was a church that I belonged to a long time ago. And um, the the review was from somebody who attended an Easter Sunday worship service. And they gave a glowing review of the church. They said, This church was really great because the pastor made me laugh three times. They said, you got to go check this church out because the pastor is so funny. He made me laugh three times during the Easter Sunday worship service. But brothers and sisters, if somebody were to walk away from an Easter Sunday worship service or any worship service, and what excited them is that they laughed three times or that the jokes were funny, they have, I wonder if they even heard the message at all if they even experience God's presence at all. Instead of counting how many times we laugh or or what is happening that is exactly like we want it to, the purpose of coming to worship is being in the presence of God, hearing the voice of God. I'm sure that Jesus laughed and was a fun guy at times. Certainly, it seems that way in his first miracle at the wedding at Cana. And... If something funny happens in church, it's it's fine. There isn't anything against laughing in church per se, but that can, for so many people, become the purpose of going or the litmus test by which a church is, is measured or a sermon or a worship service is measured. Was I entertained? Those are just in the way, those things of actually experiencing the presence of God. And Jesus would come into such a church that prioritizes entertainment, and he would say, get rid of it. Get rid of it. He wants to be with his people in spirit and in truth. Another distraction from prayer and from God's presence can be politics. And this can be overt, and it can be very subtle sometimes as well. And I find, just as I was thinking through what gets in the way of our worship, that whatever people idolize, they want more from that in church eventually. So if people idolize entertainment, they're going to want more entertainment in church. If people idolize politics, they're going to, be want, they're going to want their politics more confirmed in church. Or perhaps politics never dealt with in church because it might challenge some part of what somebody believes of, of how the world should work. So whatever people idolize, they will want more of it in church, sometimes instead of the presence of God. The person who idolizes entertainment will want more of that. The person who idolizes politics will want the church to preach their political views. But, brothers and sisters, people need to come and hear about Jesus, about Jesus Christ, about grace, about the cross, about how you can be set free from your guilt. This is where we come to have our idols broken down, not to build up more strongly. This is where we come to the cross and to communion with God, to repent of our idolatry, not to have our idolatry worked into the worship service or or other parts of church ministry. Like doves, entertainment and politics have their place and and can be very good things. But the result of providing those things for people as a replacement for the gospel, the word of God, the presence of God, angered Jesus greatly. You can see selling doves, there was nothing wrong with selling a dove in the first century. There's nothing wrong with being entertained and, and talking about politics and discussing those things in their sphere. But when it becomes a replacement for an enjoyment of the presence of God, Jesus says, get it out. Get it out. Why? Because there were people who were really seeking him coming to the temple, who wanted to be in the presence of God, and it was getting in, in the way of spiritually hungry people being fed. So if you come to church to find Jesus you will want him to cast out any distraction from, um, from seeking him. If you open your Bible this week and you are seeking God, it would be a good prayer for you to offer up to God beforehand. Lord, remove any distractions for this next little while so that I can just spend time with you. Any distractions. It could be a good thought that pops into your head, something that you need to be doing later in the day, but Lord, remove it at least for a while so that I can just be with you and hear your voice. I could say He did this for me many times during my sabbatical, that He always answered that prayer, that as I would sit uh, sometimes in a, a very busy cathedral, And there would be people all around, and I would pray, Lord, just help me find a spot where I can just rest and listen and read and pray. You know, I'd open my eyes, and across the way, there would be a little corner where I could go and just sit and hear his voice. So I would encourage you to do the same thing with your own quiet time, with your own family time, with your own uh, experience of coming to worship, that you would pray, Lord, get those distractions far away so that I can be with you. Hear the gospel. Hear your voice again. So what does God provide when all those things are removed? What does Jesus want the temple to be? He says in verse 13, we read again, my house shall be called a house of prayer and you make it a den of robbers. So we'll focus more on the positive side of that now. He wants it to be a house of prayer. And again, this is often interpreted very narrowly. And so people would see that and they would say, okay, so Jesus just wants me to go to church and say my prayers. And that's really the, the thing, the only thing I need to do there. But I, I think that prayer here is bigger than just saying your prayers. Prayer here, I think, is a reference to a full experience of the presence of God. That's what Jesus wanted the temple to be, and that's what a church ought to offer today. In this passage, Jesus is quoting Isaiah 56. And if we read more of that passage, we can, read, we can learn more about what Jesus wanted the temple to be and of what our church should be as well. So Isaiah 56, the words will be on the screen. Listen to all of these things that a church ought to be. It's wonderful. It's wonderful Regular people are called by God to gather in worship. In a house of prayer, we could just go through. People love the name of the Lord. Love the name of the Lord. We sing to the name of the Lord. We honor the name of God. We love to hear the name of Jesus when we come to worship. We hold fast to his covenant We remember that God is a God of grace who makes an unbreakable covenant with us, his people, who restores us to himself, who keeps his covenant promises towards us. We hold fast to it in worship. We are joyful in in worship, it says. He will make us joyful in his house of prayer. And so joy doesn 't always look like kind of bouncing off the wall's happiness, but hopefully you would exit the sanctuary, being filled with joy, having been in the presence of God, joy that is rooted in Christ, not a happiness or um, in, in sort of a, a cheap kind of imitation version of it because. Uh, there were some jokes, or there were some things that happened that you like, but but a real deep joy that comes from being in God's presence. That's what ha- that's what Jesus wants to happen in the temple, and what hopefully happens here. We offer up heartfelt sacrifices of praise and of our devotion to God. These are approved by God, accepted by Him. A real house of prayer he says here, will be accessible to people of all nations as well. And so there's there, there's a, a welcoming atmosphere to real worship for people of all different backgrounds, ethnicities, interests, personalities. That where, where Christ is preached and where you come to the cross, people that, that's accessible to people in a way that, that certainly no political sermon would be. So, Look at the first thing, though, that's listed in that description. What Isaiah said should happen in the temple and what Jesus wants to happen there and here, people joining themselves to the Lord. Joining ourselves to the Lord. That is a great word picture. Jesus said that that's what he wanted the temple to be. That's what prayer is, being joined up with the Lord. Not just saying things or asking things of God, but just being with God, in communion with him, seeking him, listening for his voice. The popular understanding of this passage usually stops after Jesus says that it should be a house of prayer, not a den of robbers. But look what happens next. It's an amazing little thing that happens after Jesus casts out the money changers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. So after Jesus gets all the distractions away, who's welcomed? The poor, the seekers, the blind and the lame, the people who really, really needed to be with Jesus And that's what Jesus wants you to do today, to come to him, to come to him. Don't come to him just to get something from him like a shopper does walking into a store, but come to him to be near him. Approach him like a friend. Come to him to be near him. He cast out the money changers to make space for people to come to him. And when you come to him, he can heal you. When you come to him, he can forgive your sins. When you come to him, he will give you rest. That's exactly what he said. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And if we want to be really, read that passage carefully, think about it carefully. He doesn't say, come to get something from me and I will give you rest. He says, come to me, to me. And when you do, I'll give you rest. I'll give you joy, peace. Come to him and he can make you a new creation. Brothers and sisters, church is not primarily a place where you do something for God. It is primarily a place where God does something in you as you come to him. So the challenge of this passage for our church is that we this is something that we should stay focused on the challenge of this passage for you is that this is what you should desire from the church to have an opportunity to come to Jesus with no distractions focused on him receiving life through his spirit the purpose of church is to encounter god is to hear the gospel of salvation through christ and to be healed From your sins. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.